Okay, so obviously the last few weeks have just been unprecedented, bizarre, horrible, terrifying, hilarious, depending on the time of day. Obviously for yourself, you're a street photographer, but you're also a head teacher. How, how are things going for you? Uh, um, I think I'm one of those, I think in this situation, people are either absolutely stuck with nothing to do, so much time on their hands, or the other extreme, which is completely crazy, full-on madness, uh, can't switch off. And I've been mostly like that for the last couple of weeks. So school's now been closed for two weeks. Uh, in fact, we had to close two days earlier than the others because we just didn't have enough staff or the capacity to continue. So we actually wow. closed on the Wednesday, which was the day that Boris announced that schools were going to close on the Friday. We we closed that day. Yeah. Um, and it's been mad since because I've been trying to organise uh, online learning for kids, trying to support parents um, with that, trying to help the staff to make sure they've got everything that they need, trying to see how many staff are, are actually fit and well enough to come in, how many staff need some sort of protection or sheltering, um, how many kids we need to have back because we had to open again. Well, we, we have opened again for uh, kids of key workers and vulnerable children. Um, mm -hmm. and, then, and we've had to do that on a different site. So all of that has been just crazy and then really not switching off at night. So some nights I've only sort of had three or four nights kip. Um, partly the, you know, weird dreams of doing stupid things that were nothing to do with work, but were obviously all to do with work. Um, one yep. particularly weird one where I was shoveling sand into A4 folders and trying to make, <laughs> trying to sort out different grains of sand. And every time I went to sleep, I was doing the same thing again, just doing my head in. But it was all just about <laughs> trying to get everything in the right place at, at school. So that's been crazy. Um, yep. As for photography, I take my camera with me everywhere, but I've hardly taken a single picture. Um, mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's the one time I would really love to be up in London shooting the quieter streets or people in masks or any of that. Um, you know, the things that we're going to look back on as being, I don't know, the, the image of the time. Um, yeah. And I can't really justify doing it. I don't think anybody would really say it was essential, would they? A historian I, might. I, mm, well, I think in America, they're still allowing people on press passes out. So you've got people that are like stand-up comedians are still able to go out and do whatever they want, which is really? absolutely bizarre. Yeah, it's, I suppose that's a key worker to some people. Um, well, I suppose when you've got a stand-up comedian as a president, that's the way it goes, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think... Um, uh, the whole of American politics at the moment is kind of looking a little bit like a clown car where just every person that gets out just seems to be yet another clown. Well, mind you, people in glass houses. Yeah, oh, yeah, true. But how about yourself as a person? How are you doing? I'm all right. I, I, I'm, I was looking forward to the Easter holidays, but it looks like we're not going to get those either because we've got to keep open. Um, right. I'm pretty knackered, but I'm all right. Um, very sadly lost a, a good mate on Monday night to the virus. That's the first person I know. Um, so that's kind of hit home quite hard. He's a really, really lovely guy. Um, shout out to Nick. He used to play guitar together and uh, just a really lovely guy. So that's that's heartbreaking and, and him and his family. Um, but so far I'm safe and well and family are safe and well. And so that's important. But um, I guess like most teachers, we've, we've felt quite vulnerable because we are not perhaps quite in the front line as doctors and nurses are, but we are looking after the children of the doctors and nurses who are going in and, and dealing on the front line. So we're never quite sure what we're what we're faced with each morning, what we're picking up. You know, you can't you can't say to a seven year old, keep your two meters. Um, you know, they're full of enthusiasm, want to run up and show you something and you can't run off in the other direction. So you just have to kind of take that. Yeah, I, I was I was actually saying because um, my wife works in care, um, but not with NHS. And I think obviously the outpouring of support for the NHS is fantastic. It's amazing to see sure. um, what what is quite a a, a a thing people neglect quite often in terms of you know we just when we want an ambulance we phone and they turn up and we don't ever seem to sort yep. of thank the fact that's a constant. But I do sure. think at the moment we are ignoring a lot of other people that are doing pretty amazing things. I actually put a message at the beginning of one of my podcasts, I think yesterday, um, talking about, you know, 
teachers, care workers, non-NHS health staff, people that don't really have the choice, um, but are still doing stuff to help other people and putting other other people before themselves. I think it's quite important. We don't put too fine of a label on um, who's actually helping us get through this because there's a lot of, a lot of different hands helping to move um, things along when really people could be as selfish as, as most people seem to be and the whole system would come to a halt. Yeah, I think that's very true, but I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to swap places with a, a doctor or nurse at the moment, to be honest. I'd find it really hard looking at that every day. Um, and if I can do my bit to help from a distance or arm's length or with, with their kiddies, then, then, you know, that's great. But, but you're right. You know, I think, you know, go back three, four, five weeks and who were the important people in society and you looked at the celebrities and actually they're the last people we need at the moment. Yeah. It's been quite funny. The, uh, yeah, the back the backlash has been nice against uh, against some celebrities who have tried to kind of uh, turn what is a lot of people in a very bad situation into can you te- can you pay attention to me, and that's yeah. kind of backfired in a big way, and I'm kind of glad to see that. Yeah, I mean, look at your million pound a week footballer. I mean, he's done nothing for three or four weeks. Yeah, and you know the important ones are the ones on the NHS who are, who are saving lives, and you, you know, let's not go down the whole pay amount of pay conversation but i just hope that the other side of all of this something positive comes out for people like the nhs yeah absolutely and uh i'd I'd like to think as well that the sort of public opinion uh being more positive would uh, would carry on for more than just a couple weeks after things get back to normal that we can we can continue with that support um yeah, you mentioned you mentioned about wanting to be out and sort of photographing and documenting things. Yeah, I, I actually I actually started when we were in Washington, and it started to sort of leak through that things were were turning. And I photographed a few of like the news outlets that were showing the news from China, and then it carried on in New York. And I got a few pictures in New York of people starting to show signs of their concern about it. And then I just dropped it. I just didn't sort of follow through on that. And I'm now absolutely yeah. kicking myself. It's it's definitely a time that we need some documentation out there photographing it from a non-biased perspective i think so and, and it's it's the time when i'm so envious of those well envious on the one hand you know those street photographers who are who are living right in the heart of london and and have to walk the streets on their journey to work or um you know to, to pop out and get their essentials but living as i do is sort of a you know 50 minute 50 minute train hop from the city um yeah. i can't justify going in and I'm, you know, I'm looking out of my front window now, and it's a, it's a, you know, a bush and a quiet country street. <laughs> <laughs> There's not much going on, you know. So it's, it's, that's frustrating. But let's keep things in perspective. I'd love to be out there taking photos, but um, you know, there are people in far worse positions than I'm in. Absolutely. Um, as far as the, obviously, I don't want to call it downtime because for someone like me, being a completely useless member of society, I haven't got a lot going on right now. Whereas obviously, you're running a fairly big ship on your end. Um, if you do manage to get any downtime, are you? Is there anything that you haven't been able to do, or what are you doing to take your mind off of things? I was having a conversation with myself the other day about you know what would be the the things you'd sit and do if you had if somebody gave you three months, which to some extent is what's happened. And I've, I've now got a horrible feeling that I might get to the end of three months and not have done any of them. Um, right. But there are things that I've sort of mentally made a list of, which are mostly photographically based. I mean, fo- you know, photography without a shadow of doubt is my release. It's my work-life balance. It's, it's where I go when I need to not be at work. Um, and so my options are mostly going to be tinkering with, with images. You know, I've, I've still got, stuff that I can go back and edit. I've actually got a folder of photos I took in London about a month ago. I went up to the exhibition that Mo Barziger had organised, mm-hmm. um, the six street photographers, and I went up there and met, met some of them, um, some of them I knew, but met some of the others. And that was that was a really good day. And I've got some images that I shot around town that day sitting in a folder, um, but they're the last photos that I've got of any proper photo walk that I did and I'm almost loath to start editing them because once I've done that I've got nothing else um, you want to like ration but, them uh, uh, yeah, yeah almost I perhaps ought to do one every other day or something <clears throat> but I haven't even looked at them I, I do tend to try and leave my images for as long as possible so that I get a proper objective look when I come back to them but um, I haven't even looked at what I've got 
But uh, also, I suppose, you know, I know that when I go through the photos I've taken, um, I reject quite a few or I put them in a sort of an A-list with the images I'll do fairly quickly and, you know, stick them on Instagram and so on. But then the B, C, D or even further list tend to get left aside. Um, and, you know, there won't be so much, but it might be worth looking back through some of those B-list photos and seeing if there's anything that I I can make into something half decent. Um, I've never actually got around to setting up a, an online gallery, on, uh, as in a you know place to buy prints on my website. Um, and I'm always beating myself up for that because people do contact me for prints, but I've and then, and then I always give some kind of one-off answer, and nine times out of ten it comes to nothing because I'm not organised enough. So you know, three months would be good for for sorting that out, um, yep. whether I will or not. Um, putting them, putting some of them in a book, maybe, you know, doing something with somebody like blurb, um, plenty of people seem to be doing that. And I think a book, although they're fairly expensive, you know, if you were selling a book for sort of 25 to 40 quid, um, it's, it's not a, it's a quite a big ask of someone to spend that on your pictures, but it does compare very favorably with selling a print for the same price so yeah yeah maybe get some sort of book together or a zine of some sort um you know if i if i was purely having the time to just to concentrate on my photos i would probably get that organized but the the one thing i have done actually which i'd I'd never given myself time to do before was to switch the camera to the video setting and have a play with that and um i have made a couple of videos for work nothing particularly artistic in fact nothing artistic at all, but, um, it's got me onto the video button and I re- what I really wanted to do was reach out to the kids from school because although I haven't seen them for two weeks, um, that doesn't feel very long to me, but two weeks in a seven year old's mind will be a very long time. So yeah. I wanted to put a couple of things out for them so that they could see on YouTube. And, and actually what's really nice is that there are now two or three of us on the staff who've been doing the same thing, reading stories or doing assemblies or, putting some maths things up. So I've at least learned how to use the video button and, and even a little bit of editing, which is which has been good. You'll be vlogging in no time. I haven't got enough to say. <laughs> no neither the vloggers generally. <laughs> we'll see. If you take out if you take out the fifteen minutes of adverts that you usually squeeze in and then the waffle, that's all you really get normally. Uh, one thing I do want to ask you is um concerning sort of when things do, you know, hopefully go back to normal and things start to kind of return to a sort of sense of normality. People are back out in the streets and whatnot. And then you get your weekends back, you know, your life starts to sort of calm down. Uh, are you going to yeah. view street photography in a different way f- following on from all of this? Are you going to see sort of wanting to kind of uh, make more of the sort of news narrative of what's going on? Or do you, are you looking forward to kind of just getting back and just photographing? I think I'll have missed the news narrative by the time it all gets back to normal, unfortunately. Um, I'm just looking forward to getting back to photographing. I mean, I think my photography is less documentary and more sort of humanistic, really. I I like, I'm not very good at projects or um, groups of, you know, series of photos that all tie together. I've tried, um, but I haven't tried that hard. The problem is I've I've never really settled on anything that I want to pursue. So when I go out and shoot... I I never know what I'm going to come back with. You know, it's like sticking your rod in the river and not knowing whether you're going to get a trout or a salmon or a shopping trolley. You yeah. know, um, I never know what I'm going to get. And I probably, I don't even know whether, I think they were all fish apart from the trolley, but I don't know whether you'd find them all in a river, but you know what I mean? Um, yeah, yeah. I can, I go out into the streets and I, and I really have no idea often where I'm going to go, let alone what I'm going to come back with. Um, so I'm not very good at doing that whole series of things. I've, I've tried uh, I've tried to shoot a series about um, before a football match. I've tried to film marches and demonstrations and um, things like the China, uh, the Chinese New Year in Soho. Um, and they, they, they always come out as better as individual photos and one-off moments than things that are actually about the event. So, no, I think I'm probably destined to be more of a humanistic photographer who just catches odd idiosyncratic moments about people. With with this uh, returning to normal, what would be the first place that you would want to head to? Um, Well, in terms of practicalities, it's going to be London. And I'd love to say Paris or New York or Chicago or Mm -hmm. south of France, all of which are places I've I've either always wanted to shoot in or love shooting in. Um, 
I think realistically, just the idea of being able to get on the train and, and get off in London in less than an hour's time. And um, I would probably want to do what I always want to do, which is walk up into Soho and wander around there. It just I just always seem to strike lucky around there. There are so many interesting characters. Um, it doesn't make any difference whether it's fairly early in the morning when the streets are quieter, uh, you know, the, the busy afternoon or the evenings when the, you've got the neon lights and things. There, there's always... So there are always so many different things to look at and shoot. Um, and it's always changing, you know, it's, it's always changing. So, so probably there. Um, but you know, I I love the South bank too. And, um, and parts of the city and and I'm kind of desperately keen to get to Canary Wharf because I've, I've only ever really shot there a couple of times and, um, there's some fantastic architecture there and, and less people, fewer people. So, um, you know, the idea of, just one or two people in a with a fantastic um, architectural backdrop is is something I want to go and, and do and do you know a little bit more uh, geometry in my photography than perhaps I have been before. Yeah, no, definitely. I've seen some amazing work from Canary Wharf. Um, it's a yeah. place I've not really been to other well, not since I've known you know my way around the camera, and it's um, something that I'm a big fan of. I'm a big fan of like uh, I think his name's Jeffrey Carp and uh, a few others yeah. who. I'm a big fan of any photographer really that works on the basis of geometry um, when it yeah, comes yeah. to architecture and hard light, because it's something I struggle with so much. It's um, I, I find maybe I'm a little bit um, the opposite of what you normally see from people where they, they follow things that they're strong at and they follow people that are, you know, better versions of what they want to be doing. Whereas I tend to always sure. find myself fascinated by the things that I have just no skill at doing at all. Um, yeah. What I definitely wanted to ask you, and I, I don't think we touched on too much the last time I spoke to you, and something that I think is really going to be helpful to a lot of people that are um, uh, sort of stuck with wanting to use this time productively, is uh, your inspirations, your, your favourite photographers, uh, things like that. Is, do you have any recommendations on who should, people should be checking out uh, photographically at the moment? Yeah, all the time. I mean, I've got I've got so many photo books in fact my my wife and daughter both banned me from having any more when it was my my last birthday <laughs> and the last christmas they said you know having you can what do you want but it can't be a photo book kind of conversation which, oh was that your go-to well, present always yeah um i just <laughs> i can't get enough of them really because they're all you know so much inspiration from so many different people and i can't think of a better way to chill out than sit down with a you know, a beer or a cup of tea or a whiskey or whatever it is for 10 minutes yep. and just and just go through a book. So, yeah, I mean, many and varied. I think I think one of the key moments for me actually was an exhibition in Paris about five or six years ago of uh, Cartier-Bresson. And uh, I had, hadn't really been taking photos very long and I hadn't particularly settled on street photography as, as where I was going to find my voice. But the exhibition was amazing and, and, you know, I know it's obvious to cite him as a reference because he's, he's the godfather or the grandfather or just God or what, I don't know, but he, you know, just, <laughs> just incredible photos and always going through his, his, his work is, is stunning. Um, I suppose black and white work, um, again, not a street photographer, but I love the, the processing that Salgado does, you know, Sebastián Salgado. The mm -hmm. deep, deep blacks and and just stunning images, and I, I think I try and emulate that a little bit in some of my street work because I do like the, the very heavy contrast, deep blacks in, in the, you know I want my blacks to be black rather than, grey or you know yeah off white. Um, Sergio Lorraine, I mean I'm, I'm you know I know I'm going more with some of the voices from the past here, um, but Sergio Lorraine, the Valparaiso book. Um, and Don McCullen, obviously, for, you know, those very dark, um, I think, I, you know, I, I do like my art to be a little bit dark, really. Um, and the Don McCullen exhibition last year at the Tate was just staggering. Um, and even looking, you know, looking at, okay, he's renowned for his war photography and um, the, and the pictures he shot in, in London in the, in the, in the early 60s. Um, but when you look at his landscapes, he, he, even if, even his rural scenes look like battlefields. Um, yeah, just just stunning. So um, a lot of black and white stuff. But I don't know. I think one of one of the things I've never really felt is that I don't have a particular style. I, I mean, I've, I guess I'm still trying to find that. And there are there are lots of 
I try lots of different things, some of it geometric, some of it more, you know, just a, an observation of a human trait or a coincidence or something. I try and perhaps try and do too many different things, but I think that's mirrored in the, the people I enjoy looking at. So, you know, I, I love Saul Leiter for his use of colour and his, his abstract eye. And I know that he's, um, you know, he's such a touchstone for, for people these days. Um, you've only got to go through Instagram and, and you very quickly find people who are heavily influenced by him and his use of colour, uh, but all, yeah. you know, with with very good reason. And similarly, um, I, I guess people like Ernst Haas, <clears throat> um, Harry Greer, Fred Herzog, just beautiful, beautiful use of colour. If it's right to just ask you, um, why you would go with photo books over just sort of viewing stuff online? What's what is it about photo books that you prefer? Oh, good question. Um, I don't think you can beat actually having and holding something that's paper in front of you. Um, it's very different looking at a print on paper to looking at it online and and so many different papers as well. You know, I think texture of the paper, the colour of the paper. Um, when you're looking at it in a book, you're looking at the pictures in the order that the photographer wants you to look at them. Um, mm. You know, it's the difference between having an LP and playing it in track order as opposed to, I don't know, playing the odd track on Spotify. You've, yeah. you've got them in the order that the artist intended. Yeah, yeah. It's it's more of a body of work and you're kind of taking it as a body of work as opposed to just taking one image, consuming it and then moving on straight away. Yeah, and and, and it's got its own time to it. You know, we're, I think we're we're really good with, with Instagram or viewing photos online that just, you know, flicking your thumb every second kind of mm-hmm. thing and things just scroll through. Whereas with a larger image that you've got on a, on a book, um, you take a much more considered approach and I think you notice a lot more and, and, and it's larger, obviously. Um, yep. Well, actually maybe not than perhaps not than a computer screen, but you know, I think most people are now viewing online images on their phones or, or iPads. So absolutely. Yeah. It's just, there's just something really nice about having the book and, and holding it. Um, One of the other things about the book as well for me is the fact that if you're looking at something on a device, you can be interrupted at any moment by a notification or a phone call or a text message or whatever. Whereas with a book, you can literally just switch off, focus your attention on one thing. I don't think it's maybe the best thing in the world. And I can see down the line there being a pretty big deal about this, especially with younger people. And this might be something that you can probably comment on much better than I can. But I do think we're going to come to a point where it's like we're just putting too much information in front of our eyes too much over the course of a day and it's just too much for the brain to take it's going to have a negative effect eventually yeah it could well be i mean i think you know children have notoriously short attention spans anyway i mean i know as teachers we it's very easy to spend far longer preparing something for a child to do than they actually spend doing it um and i think you know getting actually having that book and being forced to go at the pace that it takes you to turn a page and properly look at something is, is a really important point yeah, it's just I think as well, as much of um as much as taking the time to view something, it's also about taking the time to only do one thing. You know, we're yes. never really doing one thing anymore. When I'm editing photos, I've got I, I've either got like a film on or I've got something else on in the background. When I'm um, you've got a film on while you're doing it. I couldn't do that. Oh yeah, no, I'm Music, absolutely horrendous. Yeah, I watch I watch film. whole documentaries, I watch anything while I'm ed- editing because it's just I think I'm part of this generation that has just not been able to switch off from media because we've had too much of it at our fingertips too early. Yeah. Yeah, fair That's, enough. I, I, I mean, I've, I, I've always got music playing. Um, in fact, I had to turn it off to talk to you because I knew you'd be complaining about whatever was in the background. But I've, you know, <laughs> I've always got music playing. And often when, when I'm working at work, I'm working at work, when I'm working at school, I've got music playing as well. Um, but definitely for editing photos. And other, when it comes to editing, then, I, what, what are you listening to? Oh, anything. Um, six music or a, a lot of jazz. Um, I think I've said before, I'm, you know, I've got a trumpet playing background, um, and so yep. you know, I listen to a lot. I listen to a lot of jazz, but a lot of very, very recent. There's an awful lot of really good jazz happening at the moment, especially in the UK. So, um, yeah, I don't necessarily listen to stuff with words. When I'm editing, but it doesn't matter. I'll just, I'll actually just listen to just about anything. What I, what I don't like is quiet. 
Um, the only time right. I really do like quiet is when I'm when I'm shooting. So I I've got a I've got a playlist of tracks that I listen to when I'm going to shoot, when I'm on mm-hmm. the train and getting ready. Um, but as soon as I get to the station, when I pull it, when the train pulls into Waterloo, the headphones come out and music goes off, and I want to be absolutely present in that moment and and shooting without any without any other distractions like the music. But I think it's good to get you in a frame of mind and a mind or a mindset for what you're going to do. Oh, definitely. I I think um, for me, when it comes to editing, I am, especially when it comes to weddings, I've got such a system down of how I go about things and the order in which I do things that I'm maybe working almost subconsciously and I need something to distract me. Otherwise I will just not get through the work. I think it's maybe not the healthiest thing, but it's definitely the way that I work. When it comes to shooting though, I, I usually want some form of music, but I'm so pathetically amateur when it comes to street work. I can I can definitely see why you would want to be able to like switch into what's going on around you, um, be able to understand sort of the mood of what's around you and maybe see stuff coming through having your other senses open as opposed to just constantly trying to look for the next photo. Yeah, I think it is definitely that. It's about having a real awareness, you know, totally immersing yourself in where you are because you never know you never know what's coming and you want to be totally attuned to it. You know, I guess it's a bit like, you know, the same reason you don't really go cycling with massive headphones on because you want to know there's a car behind you or whatever. You know, I want to know that there's you know some big bloke with a briefcase running down the road to catch the train, the, the you know, the taxi and he's coming up behind me. I want to be able to turn around and catch him or if there's a you know i don't know a couple having an argument or whatever i want i want to be fully aware of it before it suddenly is overtaken me and i've missed it so yeah you know, absolutely. Go, going back to cartier bresson there's some really good clips on youtube of him shooting on the street and it, he looks like he's doing some sort of strange ballet you know he's so it's, it's like a dance watching him move about and darting in and out of people and, and i don't think i could you know, I don't think I don't think he could have been like that if he'd been listening to music. He wouldn't he wouldn't really have been tuned in properly no, to, no, to the environment he was shooting in. I think okay. my my love of music when I'm shooting comes primarily from working with models and actors, and um, quite okay. often it's a good way of, especially with the younger generation. I think that silence terrifies them. So when you have a conversation and there's even the remotest break, but they can't just escape to their phone that tends to create right. more awkwardness than anything else. Um, while I'm <laughs> or is it about creating like, a mood? Yes. Yeah, yeah, for definite. It's, it's, um, it's just about kind of, uh, I think it's probably similar to the music you listen to when you're on your way to shoot. It's just about building up that, that energy and building up that excitement, yeah. building up the, um, almost like the anticipation or the, the mood that you want for the shoot. Um, yeah, there's, you there's, there's a level of aggression. That, sorry, there's, there's a level of aggression in the music I listen to when I'm going up to shoot, and it, it's almost like I'm stealing myself. Um, you know, yeah. I don't, I don't really have too much problem with getting up close to somebody and taking their photograph, and I've definitely got better at it over the years. Um, and I know that for some people it is a real issue, and I'm not, I'm not talking about, you know, sticking a flash in someone's face, um, and you know catching their reaction i'm I, you know i want I, I want my images to be close but candid and and subtle and you know I, ideally i don't want people to really i don't want i don't want my actions to impact upon somebody but at the same time i do recognize that when that going out to take a photograph you do need to have a little certain amount of courage and um you know sometimes the music helps just to put you in that in that mindset and that frame that mood to get out and, and be bold and be brave and, and get the shot Absolutely. I actually want to talk to you a little bit because it's something that's come up in a couple of conversations I've had recently about like the unwritten rules of street photography. And uh, there are certain things you have to follow to fit within what can be considered street photography. Just your opinion on, you know, you, you have to use certain focal lengths or you have to, you know, you have to shoot under certain settings or certain conditions and it has to be in certain locations and so on. Um, nothing can be perhaps set up or posed or anything like that. I just want to know your sort of feelings on the, the uh, unwritten rules of street photography. Yeah, that's a really good question. And, you know, uh, uh, there's so many people would say, well, rules are meant to be broken. And I think that's true. Um, but I think it's perhaps more about having a personal code than, actual rules so things like you know i i 
I would struggle to photograph somebody who was begging because I think I'd, I wouldn't want to take a picture of, if, if, if it was the other way around, would I want that picture to be taken? You know, would I want someone to photograph me at my lowest point? No, I wouldn't. Um, but I do, you know, I do think if, if you are absolutely, if there's an absolutely um, perfect moment that involves somebody like that, then I think, you know, you, you at least owe them something and you, you know, you should be buying them a coffee and having a chat and, and actually very yeah. often, most times they want, they want a conversation more than they want the money. Um, Absolutely. So, you know, I think, I think it's, um, I try and avoid taking photos of people in that situation. Um, I have once or twice, but they've, they've been, you know, particular, particular characters who've, who've really been asking for it and, and wanting it and playing along with it, if you like. Yeah. Um, in terms of things like focal length, um, I think it's really a matter of choice. I, I, I've, you know, going back to Cartier Bresson, he always shot 35 mil, um, 35 millimeter lens, um, full frame equivalent, you know, sort of the 23 on the Fuji. And, and I have to say that probably is my favorite lens, um, mm-hmm. because it's how the eye sees things and, you know, you, you know, pretty much it's just the lens I know I know best and you can get a wide range of of um I'm not putting this very well you get you 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 can get a you know you can get a up close to people and still fill the frame with a with a lot of the street yeah I find when I'm doing weddings I'm I'm a big fan of the 35 mil because essentially it gives you the opportunity to show scene and detail at the same time you can move in you can get punch-ins that look look flattering they look like what people expect to see by eye but you can also get the wider shots um it's it's just a fantastic narrative lens I've always said to people if you want to learn photography um seriously if you want to like educate yourself on your own style educate yourself on how your eye works and everything like that. 35 mil, don't let you don't let yourself change le- don't let yourself change lenses. And everything you photograph, photograph it as if it's part of a story. So you're trying to, to convey that story to the next person. And I think no matter what you want to end up doing, that's the way to learn photography. Absolutely. And 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 I think that's why that lens is is you know so favoured by street photographers. I think I think also it's a very honest lens because you can't hide with it. You know, that I wouldn't I wouldn't be happy as a street photographer to you know have a put a 400 millimeter lens on my camera stand mm-hmm. the other side of piccadilly circus and photo um, photograph an intimate intimate conversation between um you know two lovers um yep. whereas if you're going to take the photo of the of your two lovers then at least have the decency to get up close and be upfront about it and if they say well you delete it then you delete it but if they give you a big smile and a big thumbs up afterwards then all well and good. But I think also, but would you would you not say that something like a four hundred mil lens, um, in the image, you'll be able to tell that's someone who's detached from the scene. Even if you're not educated, if you're not educated as a photographer, you can tell that that's someone who's separated from the scene. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, aside from how heavy it is and the problems you've got of having to lug that around all day, if you're if you're working on the street, you know, the twenty three millimeter lens is nice and small, compact, goes in your pocket. You know, four hundred millimeter lens is it's like having another arm, isn't it? Stuck on the end of the camera. It's massive. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think you can tell. And there are there are people who who make longer, you know, tele zoom lenses work really well. So someone like Phil Penman in New York. I don't know whether you know him. Yeah. His, yeah. 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 Love his um, work. <clears throat> yeah. Brilliant. I, I met Phil at the uh, Art on a Postcard um, exhibition last July. No, was it July? Yeah. Whatever it was. Come what it was. Um, a uh, really interesting guy, but if you look at look at his work, he he's got some fantastic shots down sort of Madison Avenue um, with a with a, a long focal length. But he's picked out you know a silhouette of somebody with an umbrella and the and then you you know from the from the image that he's using a, a long focal length. But he's isolated somebody, silhouetted them against the road, and then you've got the streetlights going down below beyond. Um, and fantastic, and that's that's still street photography, um, yeah. and it's honest street photography. But when you know when, the, I think the difference is he's not trying to get a sneaky shot of somebody and hasn't got the courage to get close. You know he will he will do that and he will use yeah. shorter focal lengths as as I would. Um, so yeah, I mean it's it, kind of like he's using the focal length to benefit the photo, not benefit the photographer. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. That's a really good way of putting it, and and. 
you know, I shoot mostly with a 23, but I am more and more beginning to take out a longer focal length, but probably not around Soho. You know, I, I could see somewhere like on the South Bank or around more London or Canary Wharf, that sort of area where you've got mm-hmm. a lot of architecture, geometry, um, figuring that a longer focal length would, would actually be really, really good fun to use, but they would be very different street shots. You know, they're going to be more geometric. So that's, that's, that's one, one of the rules kind of thrown out the window, I guess. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I don't know other things like you should sh- only shoot black and white or you should only shoot color or, you know, the, I mean, the history of street photography is black and white, but that's because the history of photography was black and white until yeah. color film really became accepted in the, in, in, in the sixties and, and later. Um, but there are a lot of people who shoot one or the other and, and, you know, I don't necessarily decide at the time and I have both on my feed, which I think I've talked about before and I'm, I'm quite happy with. So maybe that's, maybe that's one of the other rules debunked. Um, it's, it's what's bizarre know. about the situation though, is obviously I photograph weddings and portraits really commonly in the street photography. I mean, until I just decided it's literally the most ironic thing in the world that I would decide to get into street photography and then end up in a lockdown three months later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Brilliant timing. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I've, I've just got the timing so perfectly down, but, um, I don't find with wedding photography, there's a tremendous amount of other photographers. I mean, there's other photographers that will tell you how to do something, but there's no unwritten rules. And with portrait photography, there's not really unwritten rules that are kind of like, policed by other photographers especially in like online yeah. communities street photography seems to be fairly um uh on its own in that way it's, it's fairly unique in the sense that it does seem to be something that's i see constantly uh instagram accounts with comments left on really good photos where they're just they're not conforming to what someone else's idea of what a street photo should be and it's just a very yep. bizarre situation i know and I, and I think you know everybody has their own rules and um you know, you've only got to look at online forums of street photography to see people who've posted a picture, which is, I don't know, four people walking down the street going shopping and other people saying, well, that's just four people walking down the street going shopping. It's not street photography. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, you, you have to, to me, it's about finding something beautiful in the mundane. It's not just taking four people, you know, the photograph of four people walking down the street going shopping. It's the fact that they've absolutely got their feet in stride together and they're all carrying a red bag and they've each got a yellow umbrella or whatever, you know, whatever it is, it's not, mm-hmm. it, it absolutely isn't just four people walking down the street going shopping. Otherwise, if it is, don't take the photo, but you know, you've got to make, it's about finding something really beautiful. In well, the I found this with, with cynical people. I found a lot of cynical people, especially when you try and introduce them to a new piece of art or um, a new movie or a new photographer or, or anything like that. There are cynical people that are, uh, they think that the argument is if they can break what you're showing them down into a single sentence, <clears throat> then it's not complex enough to be considered good. But if you take even the most ridiculously famous sought after you know um, praised piece of art in history you can break it down into a single sentence it's not a valid argument for why something is or isn't good and to me surely it should just be a case of if something doesn't speak to you then it's not for you and you move on and you look for something that brings you happiness rather than dwell on something that pisses you off yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of the rules are designed to keep people out, aren't they? They're about being exclusive rather than inclusive. Um, yeah. You know, having said that, you can't you can't just take a photograph of anything on the street and say, well, that's street photography. You know, there has to be something in it which is a, a moment or a coincidence or, you know, whatever it might be. I mean, I think mm-hmm. there, are, there are two other rules on street photography that I would, would really want to talk about. And one is around cropping or not cropping images. Um, to me, I, I don't give a stuff whether somebody's cropped an image. You know, if you're work, if you're shooting with a 23 millimeter focal length and you've got, I don't know, 25 megapixels in your camera and what have you, you can afford to crop in a bit just to really emphasize the part of the picture that you weren't able to get close enough to because you didn't have a zoom lens. So, you know, I don't have a, yeah. I don't have a problem with that. Um, I know some people do, and I've been on a street photography workshop with a well-known street photographer who was saying, absolutely, you get it right in camera. You do not crop. Um, you know, Cartier-Bresson never cropped and all of this sort of stuff. But mm-hmm. you know, plenty of great photographers did. You know, Ansel Adams, not that he was a street photographer, but, you you know, spent lo- did loads of work in the studio on his images and 
to me, to me, that's not an issue. You know, I, I, I will crop because I couldn't get close enough at the time because if I'd waited till I'd run across the street, the moment would have gone. So yeah. I'll crop if I need to. Um, I suppose the the one rule that I do set myself is that all my images are candid. I right. never, ever, ever stop somebody and say, please, can I take your photo? Because mm-hmm. that, I suppose that's, is that breaking the fourth wall or something like that? Um, yeah. but to me, it's a, it's a, it's a, not, not a rule, but it's a, it's a code that I go by because as soon as I've interfered in that image, it's lost its magic. You know, it's mm-hmm. like you hear about those, those ancient tribes that believe the camera would steal their soul. Yeah. Um, you know, it's almost like that. You, you definitely lose something the moment somebody says, yeah, sure. And, and gives you the, you know, their cheesiest grin. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I did, I did, the day I really blew it was, um, I was taking a friend out and, and showing him how to use his camera. And we came across this, um, a group of Hells Angels who were doing a, a Santa run. It was December. And these guys were, uh, just outside Portsmouth and they were doing some big charity run. They were all, they were all Hells Angels and they were biker gangs and they parked up in this lay-by and, um, we saw them and pulled over and thought, well, that's just, you know, we're going to, bumble about in here with my camera and I'm going to shoot from the hip and they're not going to notice. And, um, you know, we were, we were both smaller than any of them and they were, they were quite intimidating, huge beards and tattoos and, you know, fast bikes and what have you, but they were actually really clearly a really lovely group of people. Um, and got talking to one of them and, and he was saying, you know, what are you two doing? We're saying, oh, we're teachers, but we're just taking some photos. And they were saying, well, we're doing this charity run to raise some money for the local schools. So there was a good connection there. And I said to the said to this guy, can I take your picture? And he'd got, he was called Basher or Bruiser or something, you know, sort of comically <laughs> hilarious. And he got it on his on his leather jerkin. And I said, yeah, can I take your photo? And he, he gave me this kind of huge smile that would have melted any mother's heart. And it just didn't work. It just looked completely rubbish. You know, he was sitting on his effing great Harley um, with this, with this stupid, really sort of nine-year-old grin. Um, And the whole thing just didn't work. I mean, it blew the cliche out of the water for sure, but it was a dreadful picture. And I just, you know, I should really have just sort of crept about, got a few candid images of of this. I mean, there there was enough um, irony and juxtaposition in there anyway with these Hells Angels dressed as Santa. Um, well, it's but, kind of where yeah. um, where photojournalism and street photography meets. I think the one rule I'm think I'm with you <clears> here, and the one rule I absolutely agree with is it should be document sort of documented, not um, imposed upon. You shouldn't be kind of forcing yeah. your will on the situation to document it. Um, I think no. I think that's where where photojournalism and street photography really line up. Um, and there is a real, I think, even outside of the photographic community, there's obviously a real dislike for anything that's journalistic that that has been forced. So street yeah. photography kind of follows that, but that's not strictly a street photography thing. I think that's just generally a, a, a well thought out idea that something that's supposed to document something happening shouldn't be forced. Yeah. The only the only thing I will do, um, it's it's not about getting a, a, a non candid image, but sometimes if I see somebody coming towards me, I will position myself in such a way that they have to adjust their movement slightly. Right. Um, so that I will get a, a particular angle or, a, or I will, you know, I will get the, a particular shot that I'm in, envisaging. If, and if I can influence that slightly, but without them realizing I'm taking the photograph, you know, it might be that I'm forcing two people to come close together or move further apart or get to one side of me or, you know, move closer to a lamppost or a red car or whatever it might be. I can, I will influence that slightly on occasions, but not very often. Um, but right. I certainly wouldn't, I wouldn't be talking to somebody. I wouldn't be posing somebody or any of those things. No, it has, has to remain, has to remain candid. And if they say to you afterwards, you know, did you take my photograph? Um, what were you doing? Then I'm quite happy to say, yeah, yeah, I did. I, you know, I thought you looked great or that's a fantastic hat or, you know, really funny your shoes match the same as that car and i just saw that moment um yeah and if they want me to delete it i'll delete it but very rarely they very rarely do and most people don't actually believe you've taken their picture i've only ever seen one instance of it going sort of badly wrong in person and i was at borough market because i'd been told borough market was kind of a great place to go 
and get sort of candid street stuff because there's a lot of interaction. There's a narrative that you can kind of fill in. And um, yeah, yeah, that's definitely something I learned. And I'm pretty big on personal space. So that was terrifying. But um, I, I saw one gentleman who was about six foot eight, maybe, maybe taller um who just stood where there was a, a market stall selling cheese i think it was and he just stood and blasted and blasted and blasted and blasted and in the end the guy walked over and was like can you you know can you piss off because it's just to that point it's just being so disrespectful to the people that are there and you're treating them almost like they're um an object you're treating them like they don't you know they don't have a right to feel comfortable just being out in public yeah and and actually that's when street photography actually breaks not just rules but laws because that then becomes intimidation and that's one thing you can't do uh, yeah. and you know that gives all that gives all photographers a bad name so you know i never want to see that uh, you know similarly i i never shoot more than a single frame i never do the you know the 20 frames a second thing i i, I don't do that because there just seems something kind of artless about it or lacking in skill you know yeah. um if you you might as well be filming a whole movie and just take separate scenes out of it if you're going to do that so you know i sometimes i might have to move my finger fairly quickly on the shutter um mm -hmm. but i wouldn't do the sort of that you know 11 frames a second or whatever it is your camera can do uh, and then finally before we let you go um just wanted to ask about uh, what you thought or just any thoughts at all on the kind of the couple of new fujis that have come out since we last spoke i know that the x100 v's come out and also the xt4 what are your opinions on those um well i haven't I haven't touched either of them, um, and I'm sitting looking at my X100F and my XT3, um, and I'm very happy with them. And you know, my X100F is kind of bashed and scratched and what have you. And um, it's my everyday go-to camera. It goes in my jacket. It goes in my bag when I go to work. In fact, I was even taking photos with it when I was walking into work this morning. Um, yeah. Yeah, it may be maybe something that would be really nice. I know I know the uh, the V's got a flip down screen, hasn't it? So yeah, um, that's I think that is always quite useful. Um, the XT4 over the XT3, um, I don't know enough about it, but I think it's probably a lot. If you're a videographer, uh, it's probably worth the upgrade. If you're just me, it probably isn't. Um, yeah, that's what I thought. I thought I it was think, basically a video upgrade. I think so. I mean, I think I think there are some improvements on autofocus, and maybe those will come down with a with a firmware upgrade for the for the XT3 in time. Um, I think there's a couple of you've got the classic neg film simulation in there as well. I think haven't you with, on the XT4? Yeah. Um, but no, I mean the XT the XT3 and the X100F are, are both great. And if you if you were offering to buy me both of them as a thank you, Chris, <laughs> that would be great. But uh, I'll see I what I can do. How about that? That that would be wonderful, um, but I'm not going to be rushing out or, or saving my pennies. Although I could say to my wife and daughter for the next birthday, rather than the photo books, how about one of these? Instead of 37 photo books, can you just get me one of these? Yeah, yeah, maybe 370 photo books and get me one of these. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I'm I'm trying to I was trying to put a careful spin on it, but yeah, that's that's pretty much about right. Yeah. Um, so I just want to say thank you so much for doing this call. Obviously, between all of what you've got going on and, and the amazing things that you're doing, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Um, obviously, uh, I hope this Chris. is all over as quick as possible so that you get the chance to kind of relax and um, maybe get something close to a, a, a normal sleeping pattern and some reality back in your life. Thank you, my I friend. Want to make it would sure... be, be, good to, be good to get out Sorry, and do, do some shots together when all this is over. Yes, absolutely. As soon as we are actually allowed to leave our houses, I'd love to come and see how real street photography is done. And I promise not to bring my trumpet. <laughs> I always make sure we do this at the end of the episode. Where can everyone find your uh, your your work? Okay, brilliant. Um, so I'm at Huey Raw on Instagram, H-U-E-Y-R-A-W, or at Hugh Rawson, H-U-G-H-R-A-W-S-O-N on Twitter. Um, and my website is www.hughrawson.com. Amazing. And I, I do genuinely want to say to you and everyone else that is currently working so hard to get us through this difficult time, thank you so much for everything that you're doing. Much appreciated. Cheers, Chris. There was a time